What's up, you guys? This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, and it's episode nine. What's going on in our country, in the United States? Somebody said it's like they're trying to do 1918, 1968, 1984 all over again at the same time. That's how it feels. Uh, The country's in turmoil. We already had COVID-19 going on, and now widespread unhappiness, unrest, dissatisfaction, disgust, horror, sadness, over police brutality and racism and and showing an ugly side of our country, especially the last few weeks of protests where we had violence by police, even against the media, against CNN, against legitimate news organizations, pepper spraying people in the face, against people doing nothing harmful, just out there peacefully demonstrating, which is supposed to be something that we are allowed to do and even that we celebrate as one of our rights as Americans. Now it's interesting because a month ago we had um, very angry protesters shutting down state legislatures and and showing up fully armed, armed to the teeth to protest, what the heck? Oh, to protest the stay at home orders, okay? Cause that's, you know, somehow infringing on their rights. How come the police weren't violent towards those guys, right? How come they were allowed to stand around with AK-47 strapped to their chest and you know, it wasn't really a problem for the police. We have to look at this. Our country is in a really, really bad place. I'm sure you know that, but let me just add my voice to the chorus to say it's not you know, anything to be wished to go back to the way things were before COVID and before this, uh, this um, summer of unhappiness, of, of you know, being completely fed up and completely over the way black people have been treated and the way people of color have been treated in the country and the systemic racism and inequality that just persists and persists and doesn't even get talked about, doesn't even get dignified, right? As an injustice, as a structural and and policy-based injustice since our country was founded or before. And I'm always interested in how does that play out at work? I posted not long ago on Twitter, you know, tweeted, what is your company saying about this stuff going on? And of course, the prevailing answer was nothing, which is really insult to injury, isn't it? Because companies love to talk to their employees about things that are going on, but no, nothing. You know, people are, people are getting rubber bulleted in the face and pepper sprayed in the face and all this stuff. And it's, you know, it's nothing. I don't want to start a whole thing honestly, about law enforcement. My grandpa was a police officer, my uncle's, but this is, no, it's not acceptable. And it's just time for us to look and see. You know, I always say like, companies, organizations, employers believe, they say they believe in development, 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 progress, improvement, evolution, getting stronger, getting better. On an individual level, you and your performance review and all your KPIs and your goals and your targets, you're going to get better and better. Well, how do we get better at telling the truth about what's going on in the world that we live in that affects us every day, our personal health and safety? And you look at the data for income, right? And, 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 and black people and people of color, you know, are, are harmed because of, 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 the fact they're not white 
for their, out their entire careers. You can't even educate your way out of that inequality. And why aren't we talking about that? You know, why aren't we talking about the stuff that's right in front of our faces? We go to work, it's a business place, but it's really a social place. And there's this social stigma against speaking too much truth. Not to mention there's a real practical problem in speaking your truth at work, because here, as I've said so many times, in the United States, you can be let go if you tell too much truth. You don't have any job security. Puts people in a very, very bad position. Already, uh, before before um, the terrible events of the last uh, you know, 10 days, George Floyd and all of the other horrible things that have happened, um, you know, state-sanctioned murder, lynching. That's what we're talking about. It's back to the 1930s. Even before these things, uh, these tragedies and, and injustices took place, people were feeling very unsettled and isolated and feeling like our country was not rising to the challenge presented by global pandemic and, and really not showing leadership, not just not showing leadership in the world, which was uh, for, for decades the assumed role of the United States, but not showing leadership at home in any way, not taking care of people. And then uh, folks had on top of that stress and anxiety, the stress and anxiety associated with the dawning realization that their employer might not do a whole heck of a lot for them during this difficult time either, might lay them off. And of course, millions and millions and millions of American working people were laid off in the first weeks of the pandemic. And some of them get unemployment compensation and some of them don't. And some of them have been threatened with, you have to go back to work even if it's unsafe or you will no longer get unemployment compensation. Some people got a $1,200 stimulus check, so-called. Some people didn't. It's a really, really, really bad time to be out of a job or to be you know, without funds. It's really, really hard and stressful. And it's hard and stressful for people who have jobs. So what's my point with all this doom and gloom stuff? I'm saying that I've been teaching, preaching, screeching for a while. We have to do it because no one else is going to do it. We have to manage our own careers. We have to change work uh, together as a as a block, as a voting block, as a as a writing, speaking, a, awareness raising block. It's no different than any other social movement. There are so many things in our country and in the world that are broken, and that needs to be fixed. And and work is just one more. It's just one more sort of collapsing institution. I just finished writing a book for HR people, just sent it off to the publisher this weekend, and um, it's, it's a compilation book. It's collected stories and blog posts and articles and stuff that I wrote, a gazillion of them, about a different vision for human resources, which was my function for a million years, uh, way beyond, of course, you know, policies and benefits and that kind of stuff, but saying you know, why are we here and, and, and what's the best way for us to be here and how do we take care of the people who are here so that they can bring their best to work and they don't have to worry about getting fired because they ran afoul of somebody, you know, in a high up position politically. They stepped on the wrong toes or they got somebody angry with them for doing their job too well. All the stuff that we have dealt with for years and years and years and really not spoken about very much because we accept it as par for the course. And, and you know, writing this book and then looking at the at the at the stories that I had written years ago and was kind of bringing up to date in some cases editing changing now um I thought you know the the underlying 
absence of trust has just been an issue forever, for 50, 60, 70 years. We were in a bubble, and the bubble was really cool for a lot of people, left a lot of people out, obviously, but it was great. It was cradle-to-grave employment for, for millions of people. And, and we were in this bubble, and you only noticed it was popping if it popped around you. If you were personally affected or family members, close friends were affected, and people who were not affected didn't even really want to talk about the bubble. Now that bubble has burst. It burst in a big way with the uh, recession in 2009-10, and it's bursting now with COVID-19, saying, wow, to lose your job and your health insurance in one day, in one fell swoop. Doesn't that just show us that work and health insurance should have nothing to do with one another, right? And, And noticing that work is unhealthy on the face of it, the way that it's structured. The, the absence of job security and the reliance on numeric quantitative goals and metrics and, and pushing people to do more with less, like that's an appropriate way to use people and their bodies and their minds and their hearts and their enthusiasm. It's broken. And if you have a really good job, and I know a lot of human workplace followers and readers do, and that's, that's great for you, but that, that doesn't help anybody else. So it's really no different having a great job where a lot of the issues that I talk about don't affect you personally is really no different than living in a big house on the hill and say, yeah, it's really, you know, saying it's really sad about people that don't have money, but thank God I'm not one of them. I mean, we have to do better than that, right? Because we come to a place and we are at that place now where you are part of the solution uh, and part of the openness and the awakening to doing some things differently about work or you're part of the problem. Because if you're not shaking up the status quo, then what are you doing, right? You're reinforcing it. Now, we've all done it. I wrote a story one time called something like Feeding Godzilla because I call this kind of edifice, the you know the structure of rules and policies and organizational clout and hierarchy and fear. I call it Godzilla, you know. That's my name for it. The enemy, really. I call it Godzilla because of that Blue Oyster Cult song, probably from the 70s, I want to say, mid-70s. Oh, no. Say he's got to go. How's it go? No. Go. Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, there goes Tokyo. Go, go, Godzilla. Wee. Right? Because in the middle of the song, in the chorus, it says, History shows again and again how nature points out the folly of man. Godzilla. Right? That's what we're talking about. People are people. We know how they're wired. They've been wired that way for tens of thousands of years at a minimum. And and we know what makes people tick. We know what makes them excited. Being treated like a professional. Being treated like their opinion matters. Being given latitude. Being respected. Being valued. It's obvious. It's obvious. So why at work is that stuff so hard to get? Just basic baseline stuff. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about employment at will needs to go. People need employment contracts. Right? The hiring process is horrible. That's going to be the next book is about, you know, changing recruiting, reinventing recruiting. So it works for people. Brutal, brutal process. And it's the way, you know, the relationship between an employee and employer starts out. It's a really important juncture. It's really a great opportunity for companies to, to, to have a competitive advantage is right in their recruiting for Pete's sake. So I'm going to lay some of that out in the next book. But just wanted to say that this is a time when people, many, many, many people and folks who write to me feel isolated. They feel alone and they feel 
adrift. They feel like nobody is with them. So, you know, the comfort in, in that awful feeling is to know that a lot of people feel the same way. A lot of people are looking around and saying, come on, we cannot pretend that this system is sustainable or that it works well or that it's good enough. And that's why all these people are out in the street protesting, by the way. That, that's why hundreds of thousands of people are out protesting because they're saying, it's not just me. It's not just my neighborhood. This is messed up. This is not cool. The United States has been here before, but this is a turning point, I think. I hope. I hope we need a turning point. We need an opportunity to say, let's rip some of these old structures down and build them up again. Healthier. Sustainable. Right? Right for people. Oriented to people. We cannot have 10 people in the country with all the money. That's obviously a bad idea. A few people with all the money that just gives them the opportunity to get more money, to take money literally from us, from us, from the government and from us and from food stamps and from food and from medicine and from health and from housing. Come on. There isn't any other, there, there isn't any other, uh, you know, slush fund. It's the money to the, to the insanely filthy rich billionaires who don't need it, could never use it like an illness, right? Like a mental illness like a fixation, or it's to the people who need literal food to eat. They need heat. They need a bed. Come on. You can't say anything about a society if people are so wealthy that they say, the only place for me to put my money is in a space shot, which is something that um, Jeff Bezos said. I have to put my money into space. Where else would I put it? Yeah, right, Jeff. Where else would you put it? But we can't look back because there's a lot of, you know, we got to this point through a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice and mistreatment and a lot of lying and being lied to. But we got to look forward because why would we go back? I do talk to people in my travels who say, well, I wish the United States was like it was in the 50s. The 50s? So what we know about folks who say that is that they were not very close to the ground in the 50s where it was a horrible time be black, to be a person of color, to be, to be gay, bisexual, lesbian, right? Trans, horrible time. Horrible time to be a woman in the 50s. Horrible time to be an immigrant, non-white immigrant. Bad time. Like you show your blinders when you say something like the United States should be like it was 40 years ago, 60 years ago. No, 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 no. That was a terrible time. For many, 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 many people, notwithstanding, you know, the advertising that claimed differently. So I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. I want a better world to live in for my kids, grandkids, their grandkids. I'm sure you do too. What's it going to look like? Well, we're going to deal with climate change because that's not going anywhere. We're going to make big changes to support that. We're going to talk about income inequality. We're going to talk about structural racism. Love to see law enforcement and criminal justice ripped down and built up again on a better model, healthier model, human model. Work, obviously, needs to be reinvented, reformed. Ridiculous that people fight with each other over lousy jobs and say, well, you know, survival of the fittest. Is that the society we want? Survival of the fittest? Really? That people shouldn't be entitled to have a place to live, to not starve on the street? Is that the promise of the United States of America? Hard to imagine that it is. But yeah, let's answer some questions. 
Okay, here's somebody who says, the company recruiter will not return my calls. I interviewed twice in this company and she told me the name of the person I'm supposed to be meeting with next. It's the director. I've already met with the manager. How do I get her to set up that interview for me or do I reach out to the director myself? Well, listen, I can understand your frustration because, you know, recruiting processes have not been great in the best of times. And now with everything that's going on, I'm not surprised at all if stuff is slipping through the cracks like crazy. Anything could have happened. They could have canceled the job opening. They could have put it on hold. They could have hired someone internally. They could have hired a temp. There's just any number of things. But I don't think you reach out to that director yourself. However, the recruiter is not the be all and end all. You met with the manager. The manager would have to, you know, I assume that's your direct manager, would have to approve it if you were going to go and meet with their boss, the director. So reach back out to the manager. Leave a voicemail if you want. Send a message through LinkedIn. Leave an email saying, hi, it's just checking in. I'm sure you're crazed. Um, I uh, was... Um, due to be set up with um, Susie Q, the director, and I uh, wanted to, to check on that and see, you know, about their schedule next week. You know, see if there's, if there's room in their schedule maybe to put something together next week. Sometimes that little nudge when people are fried and they're stressed is really good because it gives them something concrete to do. And you're going to be polite, of course, in your follow-up. But you do that a couple, two, three times. At a certain point, you say, you know what, God bless. When they get their stuff together, They'll come back and talk to me or they won't and I'll have another job. In general, after an interview, capture the learning in your journal. Tell your best friend about it. Make sure you leave out no detail because it's the teeny weeny details. The teeny weeny details that almost escape your notice on the interview that mean everything, right? Those are the flags, all the nice flags and the red flags that are going to tell you what kind of place it is because we get lulled. It's a job opportunity. I need a job. I need money. Oh, it must be great. I'm sure. But tell that story to your most cynical friend. I walked in and, and I sat down, I got a cup of coffee and then they came to get me. What happened? What happened? What happened? Tell somebody every single thing you remember from the conversation because it all really matters. Capture it. Send thank you notes if that's your plan. Send the thank you notes. I've written a ton about the perfect post-interview thank you note. You can find that story and then put it out of your mind. Take a bubble bath, you know, whatever you like to do. Get out the loofah and the shower gel, whatever calms you down. You are triumphant. You got through that interview. You did brilliantly and just let it go. Go on to the next thing. Do not sit by the phone. You see the parallels, right? Between job hunting and dating. There's so many parallels. But no, you don't wait, you don't wait, you don't wait for no one. Keep moving on, right? Forward, 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 put another iron in the fire. Okay, another question is, should I tell my boss I want her job? Yeah, this time of year, all times of year, a lot of companies do a goal setting process. And one of the questions they may ask you in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with your boss is, what's the next job you want in the company? And I mean, Depending on the context, that could be a very icky conversation. And one thing I hate almost more than anything is when people tell you to be honest and it's not safe to be honest. But this is a this is a very common thing, right, in corporate America because of the whole fear-based deal, employment at will, anyone can get fired. How could you be expected to tell your boss, well, actually, my ideal next job would be your job. I mean, if you got promoted or something happened... You should be able to say that, particularly when they ask you the question, what's the next job you want in the company? But you have to mince. You have to dance and prance. 
you have to walk on eggshells. You can't say that because if your boss doesn't like the fact that you got your eye on their job, although they've asked you about what you think about your own development and advancement, then obviously very bad things could happen. You could get marginalized and you could get tossed out the door. So you probably can't, you probably can't say it. They want to know. You want to throw your hat in the ring. You want to tell them if they have an opportunity to be promoted, you'd like their job. But I'm telling you what, if energetically you knew that it were safe to say that, if your boss was always saying, you have to take my job when I hopefully, you know, move on, you have to take my job. You might say, well, thanks for saying that. That, that sounds like it'd be really fun. But if they haven't said that, you probably don't want to say anything. I think the reason you're asking me the question is because your body already knows it's not safe. Body is the, the judge. Your body is in charge of this stuff. Your body knows fear. Believe me, your body knows fearful things. Your body knows when it can relax. Listen to your body. All right. We have any more? Oh, we have one more question. Liz, any tips for an out-of-town job search? Yeah, you know what? Here's something. All of these firms that are now saying, we don't expect people to come back to the office at all in 2020, and maybe not 2021 either, these are great places to apply on an out-of-town job search, those particular jobs where you don't have to physically be anywhere because they can hire you. You don't even have to move. We say out-of-town job search, but if the headquarters of the company you're interested in is in San Jose and you're in, you know, um, St. George, Utah, you could stay in St. George. You don't have to move. Theoretically, you don't have to move if they don't care where you work, if you're going to work remotely. So if I were job hunting right now, I'd be looking at those companies above all. Um, if, if you don't want that, you want to work in an office with a bunch of other people, or you don't work in an office, you have a job where you expect to physically go there, then my tips for an out-of-town job search is get a mailing address in the city of your destination. A friend, a cousin, a P.O. box, get a mailing address you can put on a resume. And you can put a P.O. box, you know, uh, what um, some P.O. box places will do is call it a suite. One, two, three, you know, Park Street, suite 17. doesn't sound like a residence, but whatever. P.O. box, some kind of mailing address, and you can buy them. You can pay a few bucks a month to have a mailing address in the city. If you don't have a friend there that will let you use theirs, that out-of-town a mailing address on your resume can be jarring. They just don't know what to do about it. Um, the second thing is if you want to mention, because you probably your career history is in your current location and you want to, you want to cover that ground. You don't want that to freak anybody out when they see you've been working in St. George, Utah, and now you're trying to get to Phoenix. You can say right in the summary of your resume, you can say now that I'm moving, making a family move to Phoenix, you know, I'm interested in what you guys are doing with whatever, zircon encrusted tweezers. So you you frame it up that yes, I'm moving, it's intentional, I want to, it's something I've planned to do, I'm into it. So it's not like I'm just spraying out resumes all over the world. I should write an ebook about this. Thank you for the idea to write an ebook about an out of town job search because it's been common and it's gonna be more common. All right, okay, so I told you I'm writing a book uh, just sent it to the publisher all about human resources. And then I got another one coming up about recruiting, but 
in terms of our existing stuff, the, the book Reinvention Roadmap, like my, I'm really proud of that book. It's all about reinvention and career change and claiming your story and job search. It's packed, it's full of illustrations and exercises. It's fun, I hope it's inspirational, it's colorful. That is on sale for through our publisher right now, Ben Bella Books, and you can get the book, the physical book, 50% off and the ebook for $4.99. So look on LinkedIn and you'll see my posts about that or Twitter or write to us at support at humanworkplace.com if you can't find that stuff. And then um, related to that uh, is that we have a phone number, a Google voice number where you can call and leave me a question on a voicemail and I may answer it in an upcoming podcast an upcoming episode of the truth about work podcast and if i do that then you get to pick a course one of our virtual courses which are rad and uh and get some good development out of that and hopefully inspiration and ideas maybe a new job or a consulting business or a book that you write or thought leadership or whatever you're interested in and um so here's the voicemail number to call and leave me a question okay it's 303-834- 7549. That's the voicemail number. So anyway, yeah, it's awesome that you're a human workplace follower. I super appreciate it. Our movement is growing. People are finding out about our mission to reinvent work for people. We're zealots. We think it's time, been time, to make work a human place. You know, that's when companies thrive. That's when all of us thrive. So we're into that. And I'm Liz Ryan, and uh, thanks for listening.